Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. So here he tells them to pursue love. But again, that's not to the exclusion of any of the other gifts. Because love is the completeness or the validity of the gifts. It's the love that's working in our lives that shows, man, that's the Spirit of God that's working in us when these gifts are being manifested. The underpinning of all spiritual gifts is the love of God. Because our spiritual gifts are given for the glory of God and the edification of others, then God's desire is for us to operate with His love animating our lives. If you and I are not careful, our focus turns to ourselves in impressing others. Therefore, Pastor David encourages you to be sure that you are praying that God will show you your gifts, teach you to use them, and give you the opportunity to serve others with them. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Desiring Spiritual Gifts. speaks about the fact that though love never fails, he says prophecies are going to fail. Tongues are going to cease. And knowledge, uh, that, that spiritual gift of knowledge, that'll no longer be needed. The interesting thing, if those things were given to us by God as spiritual gifts for us now, why would they be done away with? Why, why wouldn't they last like forever? I think because just what Paul says here, There comes a time when they won't be necessary. It won't be needful at all. Right now in this realm, in this age, verse 9 says, now we know in part and we prophesy in part. Why? Because again, not everything is revealed to us. But at that time, once we get again face to face with the Lord, man, we'll know all things. All things will be revealed to us. We won't need the gift of prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or any of those gifts. Why? Because again, then we will know. Same is true with the gift of tongues. Tongues, again, given as a way of praising and glorifying God beyond what we are physically and normally capable of within our own understanding. There'll come a time when we're not going to be limited by the hindrance of any kind of a human flesh. There's going to come a time when we're going to be standing in his presence. This corruptible has put on incorruption. This mortal has put on immortality. And we're just going to be free to be able to worship and praise him to the greatest extent that right now you and I can't even begin to imagine. I don't care how good of a worship time you've ever had or wherever it was. It is not even beginning to be compared to the worship and the praise and the glory 
that we're going to have in that day. Currently, the gift of knowledge allows us to know some things that we, we haven't learned or experienced. God just reveals these things to us. Now, that's possible only because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit through the working of that gift. But even with that, we're only able right now, as Paul says, we see in a mirror and, and dimly. But you know what? There's going to come that time when it's going to be face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall be known just, or I shall know just as I am known. Guys, there's going to be a time when we'll be knowledgeable of all things. It's that point where we're going to be standing in, we're going to be experiencing eternity in a way that we just cannot do this in our mortality, in the midst of our corruption of our own lives, these, these bodies that we live. And so many people are so fearful of these chapters within the book of 1 Corinthians because they don't understand what these gifts are for, how to interpret them, how to use them. Some have stretched the meaning to be nothing close to what Paul is speaking about, both in the exaggeration of the meaning, oh, well, this is what these gifts are, and they take it to such a strange, bizarre extreme that, that the world looks and says, man, that's just wacko. That's just wacko. And then others have shut it down to a point that they're afraid to move within the strength of the gifts. Why? Because they don't understand them. I don't want to deal with something that I can't control. Well, beloved, if your life is only under what you can control, the woe be to you, okay? Uh, I want my life to be controlled by God, to go places that I wouldn't normally go, to strengthen me in a way that I can't be strengthened on my own, to reveal to me things that I can't understand on my own. I want the Spirit of God to be working in me in a supernatural way. I don't want to be a wacko. I don't want to drive the world away from Christ because of my actions. But what I want to do is I want to be used by Christ in a powerful way that's not of myself. If we interpret the verses within the context of what Paul is telling us and try not to feed into it something that doesn't say, then I believe that the message and the meaning of these things is going to be very clear. Paul fully understood this whole concept that right now this world is only a shadow. But then, as he says, that when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away with. The gifts are temporary. They're used to allow us to experience a portion of all that God has planned and designed for us. But when this imperfect world passes away, guys, we move into that city whose builder and maker is God, then that which is in part is going to be done away with. And everything's going to be complete at that point in time. Paul tells us now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love will never end. Love will always remain. Love will always remain because our God is love, one of the greatest of his multiple attributes, and he remains forever. But we're not there yet, are we? No, unfortunately. We're still dealing with a limited world. We're still dealing with our, our fleshly humanness. We're still dealing with something that's partial, something that, uh, again, something that in the hands of man can either be abused or ignored. Let's look at this. Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. Beginning in verse 1, Paul tells us, 
pursue love. Now, this is the thing that he told us back in chapter 13. This is the greatest thing, and if you don't have this, you, you don't have anything. So now he's continuing on with that same mindset. Pursue love. That means that when I read something like that, that tells me it, it doesn't come natural, okay? So that tells me it's something supernatural that I've got to be seeking God for in my life, that kind of love. That again, the kind of love that God wants us to have. He says, pursue love, and guess what? Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Listen, I grew up in a church that said, you know, in essence, man, the gifts, no way, no, no. we're, we're going to rip chapter 12, 13, and well, no, we'll keep 13, we'll use that in our wedding services, uh, though it has nothing to do with wedding services, and we'll take 13 and 14, rip them out of our Bible, because they just don't make sense, we don't understand them, and we are afeard of them, okay? That's what they said where I grew up, they, we were afeard of them. But you know what? God says, desire spiritual gifts. So that means I better understand what it is I'm desiring. Amen? So that again, you're desiring the right thing. You're not desiring the wrong thing, the incorrect thing. And you're desiring all that he has for you. He says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And we'll look at that in a moment. Let me finish on here, verse two. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, just as I stated at the beginning of this study, Paul didn't want the church to be ignorant. And he knew that there was a vast variety, there was a diversity of gifts that were given to the church, and they were given to the church for the profit and for the benefit of all. So let's not lose track of that because that's what's gonna guide our understanding through all of these things. He clearly states that he is for the gifts. He says, hey, man, desire spiritual gifts. They're good things to have. Paul is not against them in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He recognizes the overall significance of love. And that's what we discussed uh, earlier tonight as well as what we looked at when we were in chapter 13, the earlier passages in chapter 13. Again, the overall significance of love in the midst of these gifts. So here he tells them to pursue love. But again, that's not to the exclusion of any of the other gifts because love is the completeness of, or the validity of the gifts. It's the love that's working in our lives that shows, man, that's the spirit of God that's working in us when these gifts are being manifested. When as part of that, love is flowing through us. While we are pursuing love, we are to desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. And again, the importance of the gift of prophecy That's there because, again, its focus is to proclaim God's word 
to both God's people and to unbelievers. That's what prophecy is. Proclaiming the truth of God's word both to God's people as well as non-believers. We say, well, to non-believers, wouldn't that be the gift of evangelism? Yes, and there would be an overflow on that. But the gift of prophecy is a declaration of God's word. As we shared earlier on in this study, it's not so much about foretelling the future. Hey, tomorrow at you know, two o'clock, this is going to, no, that's not what it is. The, the Lord has used those kinds of prophets in the past, but the gift of prophecy that's continuing on today is the declaration, being able to declare, tell forth God's word. Again, prophecy, it's necessary for the spreading and for the strengthening of God's kingdom and his church. It's a needful gift. And that's why Paul says it's so important that you and I would pray for the gift of prophecy. Lord, help me to be able to declare your word. Give me understanding of your word so I can share it with my neighbors, with my friends, with my family members. Lord, that I wouldn't be afraid of sharing your truth. Give me the gift of prophecy that I might be able to stand bold and guess what? In love, declare his word. Speaking the truth in love. You see how important that love is? Because guys, if we go and we proclaim God's word, the truth, the fullness of God's word is that there is a great judgment that is ahead for all. And if I don't come to somebody and speak that truth to them in love, they're just going to look at me and say, well, you, you just hate everybody and you, know, you don't care about me. But if I come with the reality and the truth of that love, and I say, the whole reason I want to share this with you is because of the greatness of my concern for you. Because eternity is real. Because God's word says that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And I'm just concerned where you're going to be standing in that judgment because of my concern, because of my love for you. That's the kind of evangelism we need rather than turn or burn. You know, I, you, know you see those signs? I, I see the, the signs of some of these guys that are protesting these different things. And I think, man, that's heresy. That's a slap in the face of God. Because of the greatness of God, God's love was so great. He sent his son to die. Now you're putting up these signs. What happened? Is God's love all done? No, it's with love that the word of prophecy goes out in strength and in might for the spreading and for the strengthening of his kingdom and his church. The gift of prophecy allows somebody to declare the truth and the fullness of God's word. And again, it's not so much about saying, thus says the Lord, and then come up with some new revelation. But it is about saying, thus says the Lord, and then proclaim the truth of God's word and the hope of the gospel, telling forth, spreading out that message of hope. Yeah, there's judgment there. And I think that we do people a great disservice when we come with the hope of the gospel that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Why don't you come? I mean, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Why don't you come? God wants you to go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, sure. Well, come and pray this prayer with me. I mean, guys, the fact is, the truth is, the fullness of God's word is there is judgment out there. And yet, in the midst of our sin, God's love is so much that he wants to take you right where you're at. And if you'll surrender your life to him, the word does speak of repentance. 
and turning to him, laying aside those things, taking up a cross, dying daily, surrendering our lives to him. That's got to be the hope of the message. You see, the hope of the gospel isn't so hopeful if I don't know that you know, there, there's another realm there. That, you know, what, what hope uh, do I have? Oh, the gospel, yeah, that's fine. But if I don't know that I'm, uh, again, standing under the judgment of God, then that hope doesn't have all that much attraction to me. The only way that I can really give that is when I'm sharing it in love, real, true, concerning love for the people that I'm sharing it with. Well, let's move on. Next, Paul begins to explain the benefits and the limitation of the gift of tongues. And again, in these verses, in verse 2, we looked at these. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. And then jump down uh, to verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. So again, the importance of the tongue. Number one, we, we know that, that, that tongues are, are a unique gift. There's no doubt about it. Above all the other gifts, tongues is the gift that for the edification of the individual person. Unless there's one who's received the gift of interpretations of the tongues, we look at this, we'll look at it later in, in chapter 14 as we get into the uses and the abuses of this. But by and large, when we look at it, overall, there seem to be three primary explanations of that gift of tongues. First of all, what is the gift of tongues? Well, some say, well, it's the ability to speak an unlearned language, an unlearned foreign language. That, hey, I was visiting France, and the Lord just suddenly gifted me with the language of of French to be able to share the gospel with with a Frenchman. I don't doubt that God can do that. I have absolutely no doubt about that at all. Some say it's the ability to speak a totally unknown language, a dialect that's different from anything that's used on the earth. We're not talking about a foreign language. We're talking about a completely unknown language. Paul speaks a little bit later in chapter 14 about the tongues of angels. And some have looked at that and said, no, it's a, it's a totally unknown tongue within our world. Others, in kind of a third understanding, they kind of say that, well, it's kind of both of those things. Sometimes it is in a known language that others are able to uh, hear it in their own language. Sometimes it's a, an unlearned, unknown language. It's, a, again, uh, the tongues of angels. Now, in this whole argument of this, there's some Greek words that they use, dialectos and glossa. Dialectos and glossa. And when you bring those into account, you kind of have to start wondering, okay, in all the interpretations or in all the translations of the word tongues, one of these two words or a variation of these two words is what's used. Now, the Greek word glossa, It's interchangeable with both the physical tongue as well as the use of a language. The Hebrew tongue, the Greek tongue, that'd be the Hebrew glossa or the the Greek glossa. Again, that kind of an idea. That word, that Greek word is used 50 times in 47 verses in the New Testament translated as tongues, okay? Now, when we look at it, 35 of the 50 times it deals with language, speaking a language, 
a known language, i.e. like the Hebrew language, the Greek language. Or in chapter 2 of Acts, there were men from Parthia and, and a multitude of other nations. Hey, we hear them all in our native glossa, our native tongues, our native language. Ten of those 50 deal with the, the tongue, you know, the thing within the mouth. It deals with that. He touched his tongue, or his tongue was loose to be able to speak. So it deals with that idea. And then five of those just deal with speech, being able to speak. And so, uh, again, that's just kind of give you an idea. Another word uh, you may have heard in the Greek in, in different studies is glossolalia. Glossolalia is just another version of glossa, and it simply means speaking in a tongue. Now, the other word that we look at there is the Greek word dialectos. Dialectos, it's only used six times in all the New Testament. And all six of those times are actually found in the book of Acts. And each time that it's used, it deals with an actual foreign language, a real and true foreign language. I don't know if I've got all these on there or not. I was running out of time. Yes, in Acts chapter 2, 6, it says, everyone heard them speak in his own dialectos. 2, 8, each in our own dialectos in which we were born. 21, 40, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialectos. Uh, 22, 2, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialectos again. And 26, 14, a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew dialectos. So again, it's pretty much that word just deals with languages. Now there's also this ongoing debate as to the purpose of the gift of tongues. We've spoken about this previously, but I want to hit on it again here as we're getting into chapter 14. Some declare that when someone speaks in a tongue, in the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, that they are giving a word to the church along the lines of a a, a prophecy or a word of encouragement or a word of correction. And thus, the importance of having an interpreter. If someone stood up in our service and, and, and spoke in a tongue, in the gift of tongues, would simply stop and say, is there anybody with the gift of interpretations? And we'd just give it a moment. And if there's not, then we'd just ask that individual to sit down. There's no one with the gift of interpretations tonight. If you don't have that gift, then we're just going to continue on in our service. Again, it's not a strange thing. It's not a, a bizarre thing. It is a gift of the Spirit. Often, though, in these cases, the, actually the tongue giver or the tongue speaker also gives the interpretation. They'll, they'll speak out with a tongue and then thus saith the Lord. And again, I believe that this is totally opposite, though, of what Paul says a tongue is. I'll hold on to that and you'll understand in a moment. The second thing out of the three, others say that the tongue or the declaration is a method of giving praise and glory to God without any interference of the limited human mind. In other words, I'm speaking something, man, I don't know. I I might even feel that it's absolute gibberish. I have absolutely no mind uh, or no understanding of what I'm saying. But again, in a time of worship, in a time of praise, the Lord just uh, brings this to me. No interpreter is needed since it's primarily depend between an individual and God. Now, let let me come here, unless it's spoken out loud within the congregation.
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.